quick. All right. Hello? Is, hey. Okay. Arlen, we have Fred on the call. How's your morning, Fred? Uh, all right. Welcome back to Wiseman Podcast. I am your host, Sean Glennis, and I'm here with my co-host, Arlen Golden. How are you doing, Arlen? Sean, I'm doing excellent. <laughs> it's a special okay. episode. I've got a, a working passage here called a Documentary Filmmaker. No, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Studs comes through. Um, so we uh, just wrapped um, an interview with Frederick Wiseman. He's made films such as The Store, uh, Near Death, Central Park. Um, and he was generous enough to, to give us his time to talk about this this period um, following model from the store to, to Belfast, Maine. Um, what'd you think, Arlen? Whew. Uh, yeah. You know, like, like last time we're, we're just recording this, like right after we, we hung up with Fred. Um, you know, I, <laughs> I think, I think he's opening up to us. I don't know. Like, like I was talking to, to burn about it, uh, the other night, like, I, I think this is f- number four for you, number three for me, like, gotta wonder if, uh, how many people have interviewed him multiple times. Yeah, and how, how much familiarity, like, how far familiarity grows. Yeah, but, but I mean, you know, there, there are some things that, uh, he was maybe a little cheeky about, but I think, I think, um, we get some some great nuggets of and and he goes long on on things like his processes and and some of the themes of his work uh that that are are, are pretty unique i think yeah absolutely it was it was uh it was nice him going long to just kind of like be able to sit there and listen and enjoy um hearing new thoughts um or new articulations of of things that we haven't really heard yet um but yeah, uh, I'm excited for for people to listen to it. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it, 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 it was just exciting, or I mean, invigorating. I guess you know what? When did we do the store? <laughs> it was a while ago, but like, just kind of uh, mentally marathoning through this this 20 year period. <laughs> um, just re- what a rush, you know? What 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 a a stretch of amazing work. Um, you know, and, and yeah, just to get him on record about things like Talladega, you know, things like zoo, you know, that are just not as often discussed, um, you know, amongst like maybe the more Pantheon films, like, like a near death or a Belfast or something, you know, um, just a joy. Yeah. And, uh, well, the store episode, we, we, that came out in July of 2022. So it's been, it's been a long time. Um, and yeah, I mean, there, there are some answers or some questions where I thought I knew what he was going to say and he surprised us. Um, so yeah. I, yeah, I hope that the listeners also are surprised. Uh, and I'm sure they will be. And, uh, but you tell us, uh, when you listen to it <laughs> right now, <laughs> Wiseman podcast at gmail.com. Uh, enjoy our conversation with Frederick Wiseman. Whoa. 
So today we want to uh, just kind of like talk about the focus on on the era between um, that is the store through uh, Belfast, Maine. Okay. Since the last time we talked to you was after we covered model. So this is kind of like picking up. On that. Yeah. Go through Belfast, Maine. That's all. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of funny just off the bat. Like uh, one of the last, you know, in the, one of the last things in Belfast, Maine is, is the sign. Uh, Think of yourself as a customer. And I, I thought that that made for a nice tidy uh, package with the store being <laughs> the beginning because uh-huh. Yes, yes, that's that's often what they're taught there as well. Indeed. Um, but uh, it, we came across um, an editing diary that that was featured of yours in Documentary Quarterly, where where you described uh, editing the the teenage mother scene in high school too. Um, it, do you do a, a a diary with that level of detail, like routinely, or was that just for that publication? I don't uh, immediately remember what you're referring to. It was in Documentary it, it, Quarterly? It was in Documentary Quarterly, I want to say, in, in 1994. And uh, a, most of it was about you sort of working through the the teenage mother uh, sequence in high school, too. You know, talking about revisiting it, trimming it further. You know, it seemed to be causing you some consternation at the time but you were really expressive about you know what what you were attempting to do and and how you were attempting to do it yeah i you know it's a long time ago i have no god knows what i said (laughs) (laughs) well well as as far as your diary practice i guess just broadly no i i i my diary practice i i don't do that I mean, I, uh, I mean, I think I just wrote that after the fact. Mm. Uh, uh, I bet I honestly don't remember. Um, but what what I did do before I started editing digitally was that I I have, you know, I made outlines, uh, but I, I I never kept a diary. I mean, for instance, I. Uh, as I started to edit, you know, I wrote down the first couple of scenes, and then uh, if I change it, uh, you know, I put arrows in and or rewrote the outline. Mm-hmm. And so I, I kept editing notebooks, uh, but I I never kept diaries. I mean, that that was I think that was probably just a fiction I created. <laughs> uh, 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 documentary, remember. Documentary Quarterly. I think that was published in Denmark or somewhere, wasn't it? I don't remember. Yeah. Anyway, kind of talking about the 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 difference between the the digital uh, editing and and the Steenbeck. You know, you've talked about uh, a lot about like how the Steenbeck gave you time to think between reels. Um, so, I mean, have you found ways? Well, I mean, no. But the Steen- I mean, it, it, the, the Steenbeck. It was necessary. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, I mean, I mean, the, the, there was no question you had to take the time uh, because you had to find the material. And I still take the same time. It's just that you can find the material very quickly. And that's both an advantage and a handicap. Uh, I think that was the point I was trying to make. Uh, because the fact that you were 
recover you can recover the material so quickly on a steam deck means that you take the risk of not taking a proper amount of time to think what you're doing think about what you're doing so so how how in your digital workflow have you sort of preserved the ability to to think through these sequences well, I, I, yeah well, i just take my time <laughs> yeah i i you know uh, that's you know it's not any magic formula I just make sure that you know that that what i'm doing reflects what i want to do uh you know it doesn't take me any less time to edit a movie what mm-hmm. uh, it uh, since i started working on the scene back uh, you know on the, uh digitally uh with the abbott it still takes me the same amount of time to cut a movie hmm. um well, also kind of talking about the these the different technology. Um, Davy told us um, uh, about how the days when when you and him would put up a sheet and and watch the rushes without sound, like five or six days after you know they were shot and the the film was developed. And um, I, I guess uh, is there anything that you miss from not being able to see the rushes immediately, or or no? Well, not, well digitally you see the rushes instantly. Yeah. It, you know, previously when you shot on film, you had to send, you know, if I had to send it to the lab and the lab was in New York, I got them overnight, really, if if I was shooting in New York. But for all the films who were not shot in New York, you know, there was at least yeah. three or four day delay by the time between shipment and processing and returning. Yeah, I imagine, especially if you're in like Sinai Field Mission, like... What was well the... there? I, I, I well, found <laughs> a film mission. I sent them. I sent them to a lab in uh, Tel Aviv. Oh, okay. Oh, no kidding. Interesting. But still, there was a delay. I mean, uh, uh, there, there wasn't always uh, a bus, uh, or there wasn't always somebody going from uh, a field mission site to Tel Aviv. Uh, but we we still watched rushes, but there was, a, you know, sort of a four day delay. There might have been a five day delay. And you had to watch it without sound, and um, yeah, yeah. But but uh, since I've been working numerically, I mean, you, you just stick the card in and watch them. <laughs> um, it, you you've talked about how you'll be tearing your hair out over certain like editing issues or thinking about it in the middle of the night um, in the past. Um, can you can you give us an idea of uh, or like an example of what kind of editing issues you're typically trying to resolve? Well, there's nothing typical. Uh, it's just if I uh, haven't if it, I haven't thought of a way to cut a sequence that pleases me, I you know have to keep working at it till I do until it does please me. What are you, what so what's like a barrier? So, so so there's nothing. I mean, it's not characteristic of uh-huh. certain kinds of problems. Uh, uh, sometimes we assert could be a search for transition, or uh, you know the four. I can't. I have to look for the fourth shot I need for the transition. Sometimes it could be uh, uh, the rhythm of the cutaways in a meeting. Uh, that people aren't looking, you know, I uh, have to rearrange the left to right or right to left or 
looking straight ahead uh, shots or I have to continue looking for them or the se- I think the sequence is too long. Uh, but if I cut out this, it affects that. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. there's no there's no one type mm-hmm. of thing that's characteristic of, uh, of the pro- of the general problem I'm describing. I I guess you know if we can maybe delve into a scene from from one of this one of these films we'll be discussing today or, or two. You know, one example uh, where you know it, it's a virtuoso condensing uh, is the the drug counselor intake in public housing. Um, you know, we we're we we're pretty struck with that sequence, which uh, I believe you said took ninety minutes um, in reality and and takes up you know ten to fifteen ish in the film. Um, right. For, well, for, first was that was that the only. Um, drug counselor intake you filmed or did you just get really lucky or did you choose from a few? You know, I, I don't remember. <laughs> uh, a while ago, it's, you know, about 26, uh, yeah, 26, 27 years ago. Of course. Um, well, is, I guess, you know, it, it see that scene really was moving and it, it plays a pivotal role in, you know, just expressing so much about what public housing is about, uh, the film, um, you know, as, as you break it down into what we see in the final film, you know, what, what, um, you know, to, to the best of your recollection, you know, what are you, what are you looking to, to emphasize to make sure is included, um, both as it relates to, you know, the, the reality that you filmed and also to the themes you're building out throughout public housing, the film as a whole. Uh, what, I, what, what I'm saying is that, that I, it, it's not easy for me to recall mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. 28 or 30 years later, <laughs> uh, yeah. the, the rushes, you know, why I made the choices that I made. I, you know, I'd be able to recall it if I, I think I'd be able to recall it if I reviewed it, but you know, when you pop a question like that at me, <laughs> and, I, and I haven't seen the film for for a long time, I I I, I don't remember. I, I don't either remember the choices. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Within within the sequence, nor uh, what other sequences were shot with that counselor. My recollection is that there were. Uh, several other sequences shot with that counselor, but I mean, I, I'm not sure that's. A re- I wouldn't know that that's a reliable answer uh, <laughs> till I, you know, checked my notebooks and looked at the rushes. Hmm. Re- reasonable. Um, I, I guess I, I'm, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I mean, I have instant recall on some things, but. I don't want that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll we'll do our best. But just I guess I guess on that note of of the last time you watched these films, the last time we spoke, you you mentioned you had been revisiting the films relatively recently because you had been working on restorations for them. Right, um, but, but I haven't restored public housing. Oh, you're oh, still cool. you're okay. you're still working through the the Yeah, I'm still doing it. Yeah. Um, just in terms of general structure and, and resolving structure issues, you've you've mentioned learning from Emily Dickinson's writing. Are there are there other places that you've picked up ideas that have really informed your editing for a long period of well, time? Well, I mean, you know, I, I don't want that to 
you know, that, that risk sounding very pretentious. <laughs> but, uh, I think it's interesting. Well, what I, what I'm trying to say is that I I think I've learned more about editing through reading mm -hmm. I have by studying other films. Yeah. So it, it's it's not I can't relate uh, a cut in one of my films to one of Emily Dickinson's poems. Uh -huh. I mean, that would be incredibly pretentious. <laughs> uh, 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 what I'm saying is that because I, you know, started to read a lot before I started to make movies, I'm, I'm very aware of, or at least I think I'm aware of literary technique. And, and similarly, you know, I, I've often said perhaps equally pretentiously that I, you know, that Flaubert's letters to George Sand or Louise Colette, when I read them, I think they're writing about film editing and not uh, novel writing mm -hmm. uh, because the issues are the same. The, the form in which they're resolved is different. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's not a question of finding a one-to-one -one relationship between Emily Dickinson, Flaubert, or any other writer and a cut that I've made I mean that that's, that's basically ridiculous. Mm -hmm. uh, 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 but it's that I I became conscious or more conscious of the way it was done in novels and poems, uh, and that consciousness made me aware and made it possible for me to try and resolve edit, editorial issues and. and uh, uh, in in a, a similar way, mm -hmm. I mean it, 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 it's it's more it's similar in the sense that it's uh, it's with uh, uh, pictures and words rather than with just words, uh, but the abstract issue is the same. How how uh, um, how you suggest someone's character, for example. Uh, uh, you know, Hemingway will tell you something about Robert Cohen in a couple of sentences. Uh, uh, and uh, I, if, I, I, if I want to introduce a character, I don't say that they're proud or they're strong or they're courageous. Uh, I, I show uh, or that they're lying uh, I, I show I show you the scene. It, it, the similarity is I, I leave it to the viewer to make up their mind about their person on the basis of the information that I give them in picture with picture and sound, mm -hmm. as does a novelist or a poet tell you something about they're writing about a particular person uh, uh, by their choice of words uh, to uh, describe them. That Im immediately makes me think of Helen Finner, the way you introduce her in public housing right away, um, which is just, it, it sets a, a really good um, uh, note for, for us to, to understand who she is by the way she's talking on this one-sided phone call. Right, exactly, exactly. But I don't, I, I don't offer you any generalizations about her character. I let you make up your mind uh, who this person is that you're seeing and hearing and the opening sequence of the film. Mm -hmm. 
that's that's a, that's a good example of, of what I'm talking about. Yeah. And my affinity for that kind of approach comes from the fact that I read a lot. Mm-hmm. Well, may, maybe to keep on this this literary theme and and to sort of take it from from a, a flip side perspective of the character of someone uh, like we we see with Helen Finner. Um, you know, we've, we've read that, uh, among your favorite work, uh, works of literature is the confidence man, uh, which is explicitly addressed by the high school teacher in pub or in Belfast rather, you right. know, speaking about the character of folks throughout your film and how you, you present them. Is there anyone, uh, who really stands out to you throughout this, this stretch of films as kind of exemplifying uh, confidence man-like qualities or character? Well, uh, I mean, what, what I think Melville did in The Confidence Man is to identify some of the principal American character types and people who we read about in the papers every day now. Uh, uh, you know, uh, the, the minister or the stockbroker or, or the lawyer. I mean, he identified the principal American. You know, what was the name of that guy? Some guy who ran a big brokerage house, Milliken, years ago. Uh, and he, was, uh, he went to jail for some kind of stock, enormous fraud, stock fraud manipulation. But that's the kind of guy. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Al Sharpton is that is is certainly one of the characters uh, 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 from the Confidence Man. Who's uh, I mean, he he identifies uh, the people whom the Confidence Man uh, imitates are are American character types who or who are still with us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know you're not big on uh, advice for for filmmakers, but we've talked to you know different filmmakers on this program who are just kind of amazed at the access you've been able to get to various places. And and I uh, it, on the sole subject of just getting access to to places, um, spe- like you know whether it's a a factory or a church within like sort of a an institution you're already in. I'm, I'm wondering like how if you would have any advice to filmmakers and if you've gotten better over the years at sort of ingratiating yourself within an institution? Well, I, uh, it's not for me to judge whether I got better or not. I mean, I've continued to get permission. Uh, and uh, there's no secret uh, or magic uh, to the technique. I, I, I like to think I'm straightforward and honest in my presentation of how I work and uh, how the film will be shot and shown. I mean, I, I, you know, there's actually no bullshit involved. Uh, and if there's a technique, that's it. I mean, I'm, you know, I say, I make available my old films uh, and if anybody wants to watch them and sometimes they want to watch them, but sometimes they've seen one film, uh, but I, there's no, uh, uh, I'm extremely straightforward and I hold to, uh, I'm very explicit about 
both the shooting technique and the fact that uh, nobody has a right uh, to review or, or even see the film before it's finished and that I have complete editorial control. And, and usually what happens is I say, say that in a, you know, in a conversation and then I follow it up with a letter uh, so that, every, you know, everything that's a potential issue is raised and, and, and made aware of in advance and they're uh, asked to consent in advance. Typically, well, for instance, I would write a letter to uh, the president of Neiman Marcus outlining how I work, where the film's going to be shown, uh, that I have editorial control or, or, or any, you know, the usual issues. And I ask, you know, I say, if you agree with this, please sign a copy of uh, this, uh, this letter and return it to me. Mm-hmm. So that uh, I, in the letter I write to them, and that letter is usually written after uh, either several telephone or in-person conversations, um, so that uh, I, I tr- in that letter I try to anticipate, and in the conversations, I try to anticipate any potential problem and make them aware of any issue uh, so that they can raise it with me in advance. And if they agree, they send the letter. Mm-hmm. Has there so ever... it, 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 it's not written in legalese, but it's, mm-hmm. it has the effect of being a formal contract. Has there ever been a place you've been kind of afraid to ask over the years? No. No, I mean, <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, I, the joke I make is I'd like to make a film about the White House. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. uh, but in, in fact, I I've been extremely lucky. I think mm-hmm. uh, with one or two exceptions, I've gotten permission uh, for everything I wanted to do. And, and 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 in fact, I found getting permission quite easy. I yeah. mean, the, the the film that was hardest to get permission for was uh, Titty Good Follies. Mm. Uh, that took him back for about a year, year and a half. Uh, but Neiman Marcus, for example, I just called up the president of Neiman Marcus, uh, got him on the line, told him what I wanted to do. He said, you know, it sounds good to me. Come down and talk to me. I went to uh, Dallas and talked to him, and he said, fine. That, that's more often the case. Uh, sure. And, and, and sometimes... Uh, if I know somebody who knows the head of the institution that I want to make a film about, um, I have them write in advance uh, saying that I'm going to be contacting them. And, you know, and that, I've done that uh, several times. I can't remember how many, but I've done, I've done for instance, for a high school uh, a friend of mine knew the man who was the uh, superintendent of schools. Mm-hmm. So my, my friend wrote the superintendent of schools and said I was interested in, in making a film about a high school in Philadelphia. Uh, the superintendent wrote my friend back said, you know, uh, I'm interested in that wise and contact me. So, but, so I, someone gave me, in, in that instance, a, a good house, housekeeping mm-hmm. seal of approval which was um, which opened the door, so to speak, for me uh, in the school system in Philadelphia, and that's happened on 
many occasions. Mm-hmm. This is a, a bit of a selfish question, but ha- have you ever considered making a film about a casino? Yes, I have, and I couldn't get permission. Ah, I, I, I thought I had permission, uh, but then uh, they changed their mind. Yeah. But, but, oh, I, wow. but I went to visit. I'm not sure. They're so dark inside. <laughs> I, 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 tried, I tried to do it before my you know, before I converted to digital, it might be easier now with digital. I mean, it might be more possible. But there were so many. Uh, I visited some casinos in Las Vegas, and uh, the light was terrible. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and you couldn't. Ask. It was it was always night basically, and uh, uh, so I. But I mean, I, I probably would have given it a whirl. Uh, had I gotten permission, but uh, I didn't get permission. Damn, man, yeah, we're all we're all worse off for that. <laughs> um, on on this permission question, though, you know, one one story you've told that that seems unique uh, is for a unique film in your body of work too. Look, look, comedy français. Um, you you said you had to get permissions from like thirty individual organizations within the institution. Twenty three yeah. unions. Twenty three unions, okay. So and you always you always say, you know, you'd like to go in as fresh as you can without doing research. You know, did did the process of that month of permission seeking, you know, constitute a, a type of research for you at all? No, because I you know, I, most of the past in a bar that was next door to the Comedy Francaise. So it was research in a French beer. <laughs> 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 uh, no, I, I think I went to a couple of rehearsals, but I didn't, you know, I wasn't rehearsing. I, I, I wasn't there to study, you know, the scene and I'd go to rehearsals or go to meetings. I, mean, I didn't, at that point, I didn't uh, do anything except hang out with the stagehands, with the stagehands mm-hmm. and the electricians and, you know, all the other craft unions. Uh, that was um that was you know your first film that was comp- like made about an inst- an institution outside of the US. Can you can you talk about your desire to sort of expand your your scope uh, at that point? Well, I I never put it to myself in those terms that you just used. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I just thought, you know, Comedy Française, I had lived in France as a student in the 50s and I'd gone to the Comedy Française a lot and I had enormous admiration uh, for the comedy as a theatrical institution, so uh, I, I, you know, that's you know when when I when it possibly pop, popped up, I grabbed at it. I mean, it wasn't because I, mm-hmm. you know, decided I made a number of films in America. Now I should start in on France or anything bullshit like that. Uh, uh, it was just that, you know, I admired the comedy. I like, you know, I like the theater and it was a great chance. So you weren't at, at any point considering like a, an American theater company. You just were interested in, in this company in particular. Well, there's no, there's no American theater company that's existed for 300 years and has the, <laughs> the tradition, the tradition, uh, and history that the comedy is. Absolutely. Oh, so, you know, and in fact, the films I've done in France, with the exception of La Danse, 
have all been about subjects that don't exist in the form in America in the form in which they exist in France. Mm, for sure. And, but but again, it, it's it's more haphazard than that. It's it's chance. It's it's what interests me at the moment uh, that I'm ready to make a new film. That's really the determining factor. You know that this film that we're talking about kind of is at the tail end of this first what feels like a, a shift in subject matter. You know, you start with after near death to Central Park. You know, a, a bit of whiplash there, but you stick with leisure. You stick with the arts. You know, generally through comedy, Francais. Like, could, can you speak to that desire to within this group of films to explore? It's all yeah. It's all chance. All chance. It's chance. It's just whatever. Uh, it's just whatever happened. I mean, it's what I said a moment ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And I fin- I'm finishing the film. Uh, I, I get nudgy when I finish a film. I got to, you know, I like to work. Uh, so I, you know, it, what, it's what pops up at the moment that I'm ready to make a new film. It, it, mm-hmm. It's not, choice is not made out of from any theoretical position about, well, I've made such an X kind of film, uh, X kind of subject matter. Now I want to make a Y kind of subject matter. Mm. It's what do I feel like doing? What do I feel like doing at the moment? It's funny uh, in, in high school too, like a lot of the reviews um, kind of read into the, to the timing or, or, or kind of, Put words in in your mouth that like this is about how education has changed over the years, or like this sort of like um, hope for for education when you know when really it's just a different school um, at a different time period and less uh, general. Um, but I, I'm kind of interesting. It, it, you know, you're talking about luck um, and a lot of like finding these these little moments that end up being uh, at, at least for me uh, sort of like have poetic bearing on my life. Um, something like, um, the, the, the young father in high school too, talking about his experience with his child, um, or, mm-hmm. or, uh, Miss Cheatham, the, the cabbage, the woman with the cabbage in public housing, um, right. scenes that are, that are, that are very specific, but also can speak to something broader. Um, and I, I'm, my question for you is, as someone who is going through these films, you know, over time and through the edit, are there, are there scenes that also have just stuck with you and changed like, you know, the way that you see life or things that pop up, uh, and you, you know, just have sort of like, uh, our reference points for your life or moments that you just think of just poetically. Well, I, I think most about those scenes when I'm editing, you know, uh, you know, I, when when we're shooting them, you know, I, I I like to think I recognize them as good scenes. Although sometimes the scene is a good scene, and you don't recognize it till later. And sometimes you think it's a good scene, and then when you're six months later in the editing room, you say, "Huh? Oh, why did I think that was good?" <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, but what about in your non-filmmaker life, just in your daily life? Well, I I mean. Again, it, it's hard to relate my responses to to individual sequences. It, it's more that in in making the films, I 
I've been exposed to a very wide variety of human experience. Mm-hmm. And I think collectively that exposure has unquestionably affected me. I mean, I don't, it, it, it's, uh, I mean, it's hard for me to say, you know, that, uh, I've often thought about the scene with the woman in the cabbage uh, uh, as emblematic of old age and poverty and uh, patience and uh, and race, you know, a variety of uh, associations uh, to it. But, I mean, and and I certainly have thought about it as with uh, uh, some of the other scenes you just mentioned and and lots of scenes, but it's more... It's more the experience of having been lucky enough to as, to observe, well, I can say not human nature, but observe people in, uh, in, in an enormous uh, variety of circumstances, which I otherwise wouldn't have had the opportunity to uh, to do. And that's, of course, that's affected me. It's it, you know, it's affected who I am. It's affected my judgment. It, affected uh, uh, my uh, views of life. Mm-hmm. I, I guess, you know, keep, keeping on this topic um, and, and maybe also for some filmmakers out there, you know, you've, you've sort of volunteered to, to witness uh, and, and put in front of yourself, you know, a fair amount of, of death and misery. Um, you know, uh, uh, one, one instance that's standing out to me is the, the stillborn rhino birth in zoo, which, you know, I know took a very long time and was devastating for all the zoo staff, you know, obviously near death must have been, you know, a, a pretty harrowing production. Like how, how do you sort of, for lack of a better word, like steel yourself against that and, and maintain your resolve uh, to continue working, just kind of witnessing all that you have witnessed? Well, I mean, I, I think a variety of answers to that. One, I'm, very, I'm a curious person. Two, uh, I know that I'm at the place at that time and whatever period of time, six, seven weeks that I'm, I'm at the place, my job is to make the movie as best I can. So that the fact that I'm there working is in part a defense against some of the emotionally moving or difficult or crisis situations that I'm in. Because it's not, I'm not there to just watch what's going on. I'm there to make a movie about what's going on. So I have to be active uh, uh, in a way that I wouldn't be active if I was just hanging around watching the rhino being born. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, I have a job to do. And so that's a defense. I mean, in near death, uh, we were in the room of a woman who was dying. And, and you see uh, 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 the electrocardiogram go flat. Yep. Uh, and, and then you watch the, the, the intern of the resident do the final exam and announce to the nurse, she says she, she's dead. But, you know, uh, basically, uh, we watched the woman die. Uh, 
and you can't help but think of yourself, you know, in a similar situation, you know, and you know, in an, in an unknown future. I mean, uh, you don't know how quickly, or uh, you, you know, what's going to happen to you. We don't know when. So, but you you've been given permission to be there, to be in the room at that time. And so the fact that you're working um, sort of at the moment allays some of the, uh, or, or puts us, I'm looking, I'm searching for the right word. I mean, the jet lag, but um, uh, it defers in part the response. Because you know, you, you know, if you you, you want to get the scene, mm-hmm. uh, and that's what you're there for, uh, you know. And it's it's not that I'm not aware the woman's dying, and uh, and I, I, it's not that I'm not having my own personal responses to the fact of witnessing death, but I also the predominant uh, feeling at the time is do your job you know, get the scene. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, on Near Death, uh, you have these ending title cards about each each subject's life following the film, which, you know, is, is uncharacteristic. But was was that choice about, like, uh, feeling a certain responsibility to to the, your your characters and the, and the permission that you were given? Well, I, I just... Uh, I'm trying to remember why I did that. I, 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 just, I just... Yeah, I, I think you're... What you said is correct. I felt it was my responsibility to say what happened. I mean, I mean, you don't see uh, Mr. Sparaza die. Uh, you're pretty sure he's going to die. Uh, uh, you know that Mr. Cabra is going to die. Uh, this is factor uh, for two years, and, and and that's important in terms because there's a lot of conflict about among the doctors about whether to withdraw treatment from Mrs. Factor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Davy said she ran into you in the in a grocery store or something later. Is that true? What, who said what? Uh, Davy said that uh, maybe he was misremembering, but that you ran into her at like a grocery store like four months no. later. No. no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> One of the other things Davey told us uh, on this topic, too, is is when you go to a new location, invariably one of the first places you'll go or point out is a, is a cemetery, um, which, you know, invariably turn up uh, throughout your films. Uh, c- can you speak to your, your interest or, or the resonance of cemeteries for you? Uh, well, uh, I'm trying to think whether that's accurate. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm, well, you know, I think he, well, I, I, I told him the story and I, I'm, uh, he may have told you the story that the woman who was my liaison in the town of Monrovia was, uh, an undertaker was the undertaker and that I first met her. She, when I called to meet, uh, saying I was coming to Monrovia, uh, I said, where should we meet? And she said, uh, well, I can meet you in the cemetery. Uh, so I met her in the cemetery. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I, I can't, that, uh, I can't think of any other, 
situation where that was the case. But I mean, I'll uh, kick, quickly cast my mind over all the films. But, sure. Uh, there was no cemetery at the Comedy Concerts. No, I mean, uh, there, there are there are cemeteries in Monrovia and Belfast. Canal Zone? Canal Zone. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of this. Maybe Racetrack. I don't remember. Uh, I think there's a cutaway uh, of the, the enormous cemetery uh, as you enter or exit the 34th Street Tunnel. You know, there, there, I don't know, must be acres and acres. It, it must have started before, when New York was very small. But, I mean, there's an enormous cemetery, and there's a cutaway of that um, in racetrack. Uh, you know, and thinking about it quickly now, I don't think... Well, I, I, I guess, so, yeah. So, yeah. so it's certainly not the first thing. The first, my introduction <laughs> to Monrovia was the cemetery. That's absolutely true. Yeah. Well, I, I guess just speaking more towards towards your, your use of them or, or what they represent, uh, I mean, it's pretty clear, you know, on a literal level, but but how you're using them cinematically uh, as a theme. How how I use cemeteries as a theme? Well, they're often closing. I'm not sure I understand. <laughs> well, it, it's just a it's a visual motif through your body of work, and it's 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 uh you know, well, just just jumping off it, of the gushing of death. It, yeah. it, 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 you know, it, it, uh, unfortunately, it's a common experience. Uh, <laughs> sure. Um, well, we want, we definitely want to be, be sure to touch on the, the Talladega series, um, which, mm -hmm. which we love, um, and, and we think is, is really under considered and underseen amongst your films. Um, you know, c can you speak to going in? Uh, thinking you were making one film and, and the process of realizing you were making four? Well, I mean, you, you just described it. Uh, uh, I, I think it was my... I, I thought I could make one film about the whole... about the Teledega Institute for the Deaf and Blind. But I think that was really a reflection of my ignorance of the different issues uh, and the complexity of the issues that existed between deaf and blind and multi-handicapped people. Uh, and I mean, I, I, you know, after we shot for a very short time, I became much more aware of that and felt that it would be impossible, you know, that e each of the separate departments, so to speak, of the uh, of Teledega required a separate film. So um, I, I became aware of that quite early in the, in the shooting, uh, and I wasn't aware in advance of this, really, I think, because of my lack of knowledge of uh, the situation, or the various situations. Uh, so um, we shot for six or seven weeks, and then came and then I edited for a while, and, uh, and then we came back for a couple of weeks. Did, did, because I, I had an idea, you know, after editing, I had an uh, idea of, 
you know, the kind of things that were missing and uh, where, where to go to look for them. Logistically speaking, like did, did the, the handicaps, like the deafness and blindness affect um, making the films in, turn of, in terms of your spatial awareness and sort of explaining your presence to students? Uh, well, in terms of my spatial awareness, I'm not even sure. <laughs> you know, I, 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 uh, I'm sure that, you know, that I, uh, closed my eyes and raised my hands in front of me to, 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 to you know, have a transitory and uh, ephemeral, uh, and comic in one sense view sense of what it was like to be blind. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, not com- comic in a sense. My behavior was comic. Right. Uh, uh, but and, and, well, and so when you close your eyes and try to and, and if you can close, you you instantly understand what it's like to be blind. Uh, so I, I mean, I, did I lose the? Is there another part of the question that I lost? No, um, I'm just just interested in how if that presented challenges for for you and Davy, um, just because their handicaps aren't you know um, are different from your other subjects. Well, I, I made sure that I explained what was going on. Mm-hmm. I mean, but that was no different than uh, that I do with sighted and. Uh, people or people who have no, you know, difficulty hearing. Uh, I mean, it, it, to, I mean, and, you know, a lot of the kids who are just normal kids who couldn't see or hear, uh, uh, other kids who were more uh, badly disabled and had, and, uh, uh, you know, mental disorders, their brain was affected uh, physically or uh, or they were emotionally so damaged that, that, but then in those circumstances, uh, I explained, but I, it wasn't always sure that they understood, but I I had permission uh, from the people who were their guardians. Mm -hmm. I mean, in all cases, there were, since they were children, I had permission from their guardians because, uh, uh, the teachers, I mean, first of all, the school gave permission, and and, and the school, uh, as I remember, sent out a letter to the parents uh, informing the parents what was going on. And of course, where it, as long as uh, the child had the capacity to understand, I always explained to the children. I mean, uh, whether a seven-year-old understands about making movies or television is another matter. Uh, but I, I did tell them. And of course, their, their, act, their parents and their guardians and, and the teachers knew uh, uh, and gave permission uh, for the filming. Speaking of Guardian, um, I think one of our favorite scenes from the series or just your body of work in general is, is the scene between the child Peter in deaf and his mother who's coming to visit. And, oh, right. and I think it's like 45 minutes, which I think makes it, it's yeah, gotta, I think it's, I think it's longer actually. I think it's 52 or three. Wow. Um, takes up about a third of death. Yeah. Yeah. 
it's it's got to be the longest in your filmography in a continual scene. Can you can you kind of just talk about why that scene was important for you to 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 keep that long and um, what you remember from that? Well, you know, it, it raises so many different issues. Uh, it raises the issue of uh, a child living with a man who's not his father because uh, his mother's remarried. It raises the issue of his, uh, you know, his disability, uh, his, his, loss, his hearing loss. Uh, so it raises the family. It raises the issues of institutionalization, of discipline, uh, another, not knowing how to, having difficulty communicating with him because she couldn't sign, uh, couldn't sign very well, as I remember. Uh, so it raises a whole bunch of complicated issues. Then that's why it's long. Do you remember how how long the actual meeting was? Like, what do you what do you cut it down from? I, my vague recollection is it's, it's about an hour and a half. Oh, okay. The trajectory of the series, and tell me if I'm being unfair, but it it might be characterized as as bleak. You know, the the first two films have uh, a lot of optimism as we see you know, young deaf and blind students sort of learn to navigate the world and, and have a lot of success doing it. Um, but then the second two films, you know, show uh, what might be better characterized as a lot of alienation uh, and, and stasis, especially for, for adults. Um, do you think that Alien- that's a- 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 Alienation on the part of who? Well, for for say adults in adjustment and work, you know, on on in this assembly line sort of setting, uh, that seems pretty isolating uh, and multi handicapped. You know, just by the nature of of their disabilities, you know, we see children playing in a room together, but they they aren't really playing together. They're sort of they're separate. Um, they're not necessarily interacting, even though they're in the same space. Um, well, so I mean that's. That's you know the nature of the situation. I mean, yeah. I don't. I mean, I I I'm not quite sure. I mean, I I think that's the reality of their situation. I don't think mm-hmm. it's necessarily. It's not meant to be an indication of any of a criticism of uh, of the place. I mean, Cer- uh, certainly, certainly not. A, I mean, I guess just speaking more as a, a tetralogy. You know, uh, it, uh, this going through the films in sequence. Um, you know, uh, I guess, I guess there, there, there could be a bit of, of disappointment, uh, of going from blind to the, the realities of the later films, for instance, you know, I, I oh, guess, I, I, of course, the, yeah, the, well, yeah. I mean, I, I the, the situation of the people in the later films, uh, as, as hard as it is to be deaf or blind, it's infinitely worse to be, uh, uh, uh multi-handicapped or or uh, handicapped in a way that, you know, there's serious and irremediable brain damage. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, I mean, and the people that are working and adjustment and work, I mean, they're, you know, there's an effort there to help them make the best of of uh, uh, of the physical condition in which they find themselves. Mm-hmm. But it is depressing. I mean, there's no question. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, their, their lives are, are very different than our lives. And, yeah. you know, and that's, 
one other point. Dude, I guess then, do you know, outside of just the institution, uh, AIDB, like, do you, do you see that as ringing true or being applicable kind of broadly uh, in any way so then uh, other realms being, of society? Being what, what is being applicable? Uh, this this trajectory of of hope of potential and and ultimately of of limited possibilities and realities um for you know people not just the population you documented here but uh maybe other populations well, uh, I, I, no, no comment <laughs> <laughs> i'll take it <laughs> uh staying in the in the south i want to i want to ask something about the store um but First, um, how, I, how did you end up in? Oh, you're, you you told us how you got to Neiman Marcus, but um, uh, we both love the chicken dance scene towards the end, um, of course, which um, Errol Morris described as a quintessential meaninglessness. Um, it's uh, it's it's obviously bizarre, and there's like a weird sexual energy to it. But um, I think there's also maybe an argument that it's less bizarre than some of the some of the other things happening at Neiman Marcus, but. What 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 did you think when you were watching that chicken dance happen in real time? Great scene. <laughs> I mean, what what else can you think? I mean, you, you think you lucked out? Yeah. <laughs> were you were you alerted that that there's going to be a chicken dance, or you were just there? <laughs> no, no, we we just saw uh, uh, the dancer. He was arriving, and he had some of his wearing some of his stuff as he walks through the store mm-hmm. and you know <laughs> so that's you know you think that's funny and why is he walking into the store that way uh, okay. and so you follow him and we follow him and you know it's chance yeah yeah i mean uh, um, uh and he, he had part of his costume on he walked through the store so uh, we immediately began to fall. I, I didn't know what was going to happen. Uh, uh, I mean, but it was a, a weird singing telegram. Uh, so I mean, it's chance, but it's also your curiosity, right? And and just paying attention. Yeah, I mean, it's a combination. It's, it's chance. It's chance that you have the opportunity to do it, but then you have, you know, you have to recognize what it is. And it's value, mm-hmm. and that's not and that's not chance. That's, I mean, you come across it by chance, but uh, unless you you have uh, chances, is what brings the situation to you. But after that, it's your it's you, there has to be some recognition as to why you want to shoot it. Mm-hmm. And and kind of and you have to take the risk of you know maybe it's a waste of the film, but it requires it's not only chance but it's judgment. When the chance presents itself, it's you have to exercise judgment, uh, which is based on your experience and your interest. Blah blah blah. Yeah. So maybe talking about a, a different scene uh, that I love. Um, just as much, but as much different. Um, it, it, thinking about the 40th, uh, I think it's a 40th anniversary party at, in Aspen of this this family in sort of this kind of moose lodge type of place. Um, I, so how did you, how do you get in there? How did you hear about that? Oh, I don't remember. 
I remember I was looking for people, you know, permanent residents of Aspen who provided the services that the uh, uh, outsiders who came and built big houses uh, uh, relied on. Uh, uh, and, and in many cases, no longer could afford to live in Aspen. It had to live 23 miles down the road. Um, so I don't remember how I came across that, but so does that 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 sort of like tw- uh, remoteness of a certain population did that change the structure of your film or not change, but did that you know um, did that mark the structure of your film in in terms of like who was available to you? Well, I mean, I, because I was able to get that sequence, it enlarged the scope of the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, because the there, it, there was the obvious contrast between uh, their way of life and their means, and uh, the way of life and financial situation of many of the other people you saw in the film. So it mm-hmm. it, it 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 provided a class contrast. As well as a, a value, uh, you know, there's a concentration on values between those people that are different, maybe than the people reading Flaubert in the in the the story class or the uh, book club. Well, I mean, it's, it's certainly uh, one of the issues that the inclusion of both those scenes raises. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you, you've, you've in a previous interview uh, with with Gerald Perry, um, I believe in the Boston Globe, uh, you you characterized Aspen as you perhaps being a little mean. Um, do you, do you still feel that way? You know, can, can you expand upon no, that? No, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I must have been, I must have been feeling a twinge of guilt that day. <laughs> uh, uh, no, I mean. I mean, it, I think Aspen is a very funny movie. Oh, yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah. Pure comedy. <laughs> I mean, I, I I mean, it's uh, whether it's mean or not, I don't know. It's the people present themselves as they are. I mean, I I chose to include them. And but I mean, I, I think each of the sequences like Flaubert or uh uh, the art class, mm-hmm. guy, yeah, guy getting cross prostate therapy uh, through his toes. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, the art gallery is another one. They're fairly represented. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One 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 of you know my favorite cuts is that uh, art class scene where we've been w- watching this instructor sort of bloviate and talk about you know negative space and stuff, and then you you cut to the first of the campuses canvases rather that are, that are actually being drawn and it it's you know something more akin to maybe like a, a child's crayon drawing that a parent would put on a fridge <laughs> mm-hmm, right is that the first time you were in a private residence with your films uh, well you're asking me to quickly scan no yeah you don't <laughs> yeah, have yeah, to yeah. <laughs> but but I guess Aspen is is definitely characterized, you know, by by scenes in residences. Yeah. Well, no, there's a private residence in Central Park. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah, the fundraising uh, scene. Uh, yeah. Uh, the border, the border of the park group. Yes. Right. True. Right. Yeah. Central Park Conservancy. Yeah. Uh, 
But I think I think that's uh, in Central Park and Aspen where we felt pretty close to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, How did you hear about Coppola? Uh, or did, is that cl- purely another thing that you just found? Chance. Yeah, chance. chance. You know, wandering around the car, you know, wandering around Central Park, um, I saw a movie truck. So I, <laughs> so I went that? up, you know, guys hanging out uh, at the back of the truck. I said, you know, what are you, what are you doing here? What are you shooting? And I said, Francis Ford Coppola shooting a scene from, uh, I think it was three short movies that were released. Yeah, yeah. New York. So I went in and there was Coppola. I walked up to Coppola and introduced myself and asked where I could shoot what he was doing. And he said, sure. <laughs> I, mean, I, just, I, I mean, I just, but I mean, that's characteristic of yeah. all these women. I mean, in this mm-hmm. case, it happened to be Coppola, but it's chances is such a, it, it's, it's, you know, it's what I said before, it's a combination of chance, recognizing with chance or good luck or, and then recognizing what it is that you it's, that you stumbled across, hmm. and then no, you know, then then try to figure out how to use it. There's there's a lot of instances, especially in this group of films, where you do find other uh, like film or TV being made, whether it's Coppola or. Uh, the basketball like reporter segment in Def um, in Zoo we get we get um, a crew that is like kind of fabricating a wildlife film or or something. Yeah, that's exactly. They're, they're talking about the a little more dingle in the shot. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, yeah. it's also the the dental sequence in Zoo. Yeah, the gorilla. Yeah. Um, which which is being shot. And and like a sea of people with like you know prosumer sort of camcorders um, as well. Right. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Is is this? Do you think it's fair to say that that you know seeing the process of of the news or sort of the fabrication of this wildlife film that you're or you know it reminds me of Model, the faked shower in in the in the film Model. Um, would you would you say that's a wink to the sort of things you're doing with the footage you're capturing in different ways? Yeah, of course. Okay. Uh, um, I guess on a on a similar note, like like we we often identify scenes. You know, there's there's the five habits of mind in high school too. Uh, the discussion of of Marivaux in La Comédie Française. You know, uh, among a lot of others that that seem to sort of be addressing the audience as to maybe how to engage with your film or how to how to think about watching your film do you, do you feel like that's a fair characterization at all yeah well some of it yeah i mean <laughs> i mean certainly in the marival yeah uh, but uh all, oh, you know right guess you could say it's the habits of mind as well but i mean i mean a lot of these things serve several purposes I mean, that, and that's what you just described could be one of them, but it's certainly not, isn't necessarily the only one. Right. Um, I know we've had you for a while. I, w- I want to ask you a couple of questions uh, about Belfast, Maine before uh, we let you go, if that's okay. Sure. Um, so we were both taken by this very small scene in Belfast, Maine of this like lone hunter. Um, do, what? How did you come about filming him? Did you have to get up early and go hunting with just this this stranger? And uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I I mean I, I uh, how I found him 
Oh, I honestly, I don't remember how I found him, but I found him. Uh, and he's talking about the guy that kills the wolf. Is no, it the this, same this, guy? Oh, you're, this is, you're this about is the guy with a bow and arrow. Yeah. yeah, he's like yeah, perched yeah. in oh, a tree. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't. <clears throat> I, I'm trying to remember how I found him. I mean, a lot of the stuff in Belfast, all the scenes in Belfast, I don't think this was one of them, but I found because I read the, the newspaper. The newspaper came out every week and it was a list of activities. I mean, for instance, that's how I found the, the rehearsal of Death of a Salesman. Uh, 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 and I found some other stuff that way too. But the hunter, the bull hunter, I don't remember. It's a very brief scene. Yeah, no, I remember the scene, but oh, okay. I don't know. Uh, I remember the scene very well, but I don't remember how I uh, how I found the, the bow hunter. It's felt throughout because um, it, it's kind of eerie and. Um... Uh, I don't know, like, you know, thinking about the death of a salesman and the, and the, the other hunter and just, you know, the, the sardine factory and salmon, it, it, the film, there's a sort of stench of death uh, surrounding the film. Is that, would you say that that's just characteristic of, of Belfast in autumn? Or were you thinking about sort of this, you know, 1999, the end of the millennium? Well, I don't think I was thinking about the end of the millennium. <laughs> uh, 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 I don't know how to think about that. But, uh, you know, certainly the, the death is present. In, uh, uh, death is a theme in Belfast. But um, I wouldn't say that that it was because it was Belfast. Yeah. I mean, it, it's not a comment on Belfast. It's Mm-hmm. Common on uh, common experience. Well, of course, yeah. And on that note, the you know, like like Bel- the Belfaster reaction to the film seemed to take take some umbrage. They felt like it wasn't representative. You know, we we felt like well, we were I mean, of, yeah. nobody nobody conducted a poll. <laughs> uh, uh, the impression I had from friends of mine who reported back to me what people they knew were saying about the film that uh two things people who were in the film tended to like it hmm. but there was a cl- also a class difference uh sure the, the people have moved to belfast from big cities uh, as retirement or just to get away from the big city life tended you know, a court, I mean, I, I, again, this is very uh, an impressionistic account uh, told mm-hmm. to me by a couple of friends who may maybe talk to three or four people each. So I don't know how valid it is, uh, or, or, nor do I know how you would get a valid reaction. Uh, uh, but uh, did, at, at, in terms of what was reported to me by others, uh, uh, there was a class aspect to it. Like the people mm-hmm. who worked in the uh, sardine factory, I mean, this is a generalization. Uh, t- people who had, uh, jo- you know, sort of menial, repetitive jobs tended to like it, mm-hmm. whereas people who, uh, with greater means, tended to feel didn't like it. Or, I mean, didn't, mm-hmm. I don't know what didn't like it means. Yeah. Tended, uh, but I, I, it's all. 
I mean, that kind of generalization is all bullshit. I mean, I have no yeah. idea. Mm-hmm. The thing is, I have no idea. How how long were, did you shoot in uh, MBNA? Do you, were you just there? Because it only takes up a couple of minutes. Were you only there for like... Yeah, like, yeah probably uh, two or three hours. Oh, okay. Hmm. So they, they weren't like very... Res- they weren't restrictive or anything? No, I mean, I could, you know... The, the only thing I had to... Be, I had to be careful not to use people's names who they were dunning for money. <laughs> so, did, as someone who is familiar with the area, uh, did you feel like MBNA maybe spelled bad things for the city at the time? Well, I mean, it's complicated. First of all, I'm no expert on city changes. MBNA did a lot of good things for the city too. Mm-hmm. I mean, it it cleared it. it it, it bought the land that the abandoned that the chicken factories were were on and made a park. So it was a big park where where there where there had been chicken factories, uh, and the chicken factories in fact had polluted the bay, the harbor of Belfast, uh, uh, and uh, it provided a lot of jobs. I mean, uh, uh, there were, there were people who. And the real estate prices rose, and, and a lot of you know people moved in from other uh, other parts of the country. So, I mean, I I, I, I was just making I, mm-hmm. I don't the real answer is I don't know enough about it to act yeah. to to offer an opinion as to the effect of MDNA on Belfast. Yeah, that that that's 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 my answer. That's fair. Um, well. If- Fred, thank you so much for for giving us so much of your time once again. Um, well, it, it, it's nothing compared to the time you're putting it on. <laughs> My pleasure, uh, and I appreciate, I appreciate you doing it. Of course, yeah, we, um, we appreciate and, you. Yeah. On 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 that note, just you know, last time we spoke, I already mentioned the the restorations. It, it sounds like that's still in the works, or what? what can you yeah, give us a I still have update? Uh, so. I still have seven or eight films to do, but I, I hope okay. I'll, I I hope I'll finish it uh, this spring. Wonderful. Um, okay, thanks a lot. All right, bye-bye. Thanks, bye bye. Thanks. Bye.